The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. There is a secret world that lurks beyond the superficial veneer of American civilization. The Montauk Project attempted to study why and how human beings, when exposed to high-powered electromagnetic waves, suffered mental disorientation, physical dissolution, or even death. A further ramification of this phenomena is that such electromagnetic waves rescrambled components of the material universe itself. According to reports, this research not only included successful attempts to manipulate matter and energy, but also time itself. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is Peter Moon, who is primarily known for his investigation of space-time projects. These concern projects in the past, present, and future that control both time and perception of time. This began in 1990 when Peter met scientist Preston Nichols, one of the world's foremost experts in the world on electromagnetic phenomena, who had been involved in strange experiments at the Montauk Air Force Station on Long Island, which included the manipulation of time. Their collaboration in writing, The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, and its subsequent sequels have now reached legendary proportions. Peter has recently released a new series of videos titled Time Travel Theory Explained, which explains in simple language the actual scientific principles demonstrating that time travel is within the boundaries of ordinary mathematics and physics. His websites are timetraveleducationcenter.com and for his books, skybooksusa.com. Peter Moon joins us directly from Westbury, New York. Hello, Peter, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's nice to be with you. You've, your name has been brought to my attention for many, many years, and let me just begin by saying that I did not know that Preston Nichols had passed away last year. I wanted to ask you a few questions about him and, you know, rest in peace. Hopefully we can actually talk about more of things that you were never able to discuss before. But first of all, tell the audience who may not know who you are, how you came into the time travel world and Montauk Project. Well, I was, uh, at the time I discovered the Montauk Project, I had an advertising and design firm with my uh, ex-wife. And I was um, interested in getting the brochure work for this device called the Baytar. And I had been on the Baytar. Uh, that, that was why in, in New York City, I had been put on this machine that was a sound system with uh, these glasses you put on that are biofeedback. And after being on there, I, I drove home on the train, which was usually kind of a stressful experience to get on the train. I, I, you know, the previous year I'd been going in and out every day on the train. And it was when you get off the train, you're kind of stressed out from to New York City to Long Island. And I just uh, 
I had no stress after doing this, after getting off the train. I said, this is a neat device. Uh, I met some, I, I saw some friends and I was talking about it because one of them had introduced me to the chiropractor who had this device in his office in New York City. And, and she said, and it, um, her friend said, oh, you've got to see Preston Nichols. He has a machine that's much less expensive and it's a better machine. And uh, he's an inventor. And he needs help with marketing. And I thought, well, maybe I can help Preston. So he said, if you want to see him, they said, you go to Long Island Psychotronics. And it's a would meet every, uh, I think, every two Wednesdays out of the month. So I went to a psychotronics meeting. I saw Preston, met him briefly. And it's quite an existential experience meeting him because I could tell that he was not in his body. It was a, a very strange, uh, you know, just when you meet him. And he says, "You, we can talk, but you're going to have to wait till the break. I'm just about to give a lecture in there. Uh, so you're going to have to wait for the break to talk to me. And I went in and there was a panel of people speaking on earth changes. He was one of the people, as was Duncan Cameron. Uh, Al Bielik, who was a part of all of this research, was sitting next to me. I didn't know who he was, but he would chime in during the lecture. So they talked as the, they talked about earth changes. They kept talking about the Philadelphia experiment and the fact that Al and Duncan had been aboard the ship. And then they started talking about the Montauk project and it just went on and on. And I, and I said, is there a book about this? They said, no. And so after the meeting, I got to talk to Preston uh, at the break. And that really was a, a very bizarre interaction because it, it was really, he talked about some of the occult factors uh, that he'd been involved with between Montauk and the Philadelphia experiment. And that's what really kind of got me uh, going on one level. But I, I was able to go down about a week later and see his, uh, Space-time labs, they called it, which was in an extended – he had a huge garage in the back of his house, and that's what space-time labs – what he had all this radio equipment. So I went down there, got introduced to more of who and what he was, and I went to the meetings for about six months, uh, scoping this out, checking this out, because there was a lot of disturbing information about it, and um, I decided after six months that it would be okay to, to do a book with him. And we we signed a contract on April 1st, uh, 1991, and proceeded, and it took me about a year to uh, write and publish the book. So that's how I met him. Now, Preston Nichols, who, in this world of ours, in alternative media, that name always, always comes along my, my radar. And some people say... You have to take what he says with a grain of salt because he was government and it could be disinformation. How do we, first of all, discern that what he said all these years was factual? Well, I, I wouldn't say everything he said was factual, um, but he was an expert in electromagnetic uh, phenomena. And, and he could hold his own with any engineer in this respect. And we're talking about real world physical scientists, science. He was also um, highly skilled in 
uh, I guess what you'd say, secret science. And he was quite knowledgeable. And of course, when you bridge, there, there's a level above. This is why they call physics. They have physics and metaphysics. Metaphysics is above physics. And it is a world that reaches into the quantum realm and has very strange phenomena connected with it. So, of course, Preston was trafficking with this daily, and it made him a strange character. And so it's like he wasn't necessarily the most balanced character in the world, but he was a genius. And you, you have to become, you know, I, I think that the response is you have to, anybody, it doesn't matter who they are, you have to sift for the truth. You have to determine what is and what is not. And you just don't take anybody as gospel. That's that's silly. So he had great nuggets to share. And over time, as I have illustrated in the uh, 25-year silver anniversary edition of the Montauk Project, which was just released at the beginning of this year, um, all of the basic themes of the Montauk Project, what was being purported, not necessarily the specifics, but the general themes uh, have proven to be true. Uh, and these are delineated in the book, um, which we can go into and, and to, to some extent. And uh, so Preston was a character who was talking all about strange electromagnetic phenomena emanating out of Montauk that was affecting the minds of people, humanity. And it was a story that you, you, I couldn't find out enough about because it was just so, it was like peeling an onion. And it was all very weird. And at that time, there were a lot of people uh, that hung around psychotronics or space-time labs that had some vestigial trace, an identification with this project. In other words, there were a lot of people that talked about it that knew about it. Some of them were afraid of Preston. Some of them went to Preston for help because people would come to Preston for help. Uh, for example, there was one man who uh, was having strange phenomena come into his head. I remember he said he would see Einstein's face superimposed on the clouds and he would get so hypersensitive. And Preston basically told him, what you need to do is put a aluminum foil and put it all around your room, your bedroom. And this will shield you. Uh, so he did it and it worked. So he helped. Preston would help people like this that had weird experiences and they had nowhere else to go. So they ended up at his doorstep and he would quite often help them to a significant extent. And these people really loved him for that. Uh, and of course, some people don't have that weird phenomena going on. So, you know, it's kind of meaningless. So, you know, Preston was somebody that I, I took with a grain of salt, indeed. Um, and Duncan Cameron once said something about Preston. He says, you know, there's a characteristic in Preston. He'll say something and it'll be totally off the wall and you won't believe it. But over the long haul of time, it will show itself to be true. That was one thing he said about Preston. Um, for example, uh, he would do a lecture about um, sunspots and explosions on the sun. 
and that the Earth was ha uh, that scientists were having to protect us with the Heart Project from the rays of the sun. This was in the late '90s. A couple of years later, in the newspaper, you'd see something that basically said as much. It was a small mention, but it was there. So he was a very uh, he might embellish or elaborate upon his stories, but he was a genius. And as I said, you had to take him with a grain of salt. Now, let me just say that I've seen a lot of his talks and, and interviews and so on, and I'm always fascinated. And the question, I don't want you to think that I'm coming across as this skeptic. I'm an open-minded skeptic. And we cannot be, we have to be Preston to walk in his shoes. And if, if he was exposed to all these <laughs> underground projects, who are we to say that he's right or wrong. That is his own perspective. Yes. And I, I must say that I've had um, more problems with people accepting his stuff as gospel than I did with people criticizing him, you know, because people would, would swallow it too much uh, to the point where, you know, they're walking around in a conspiracy mindset, mm. which is not healthy. Sure. Definitely. I mean, conspiracies exist. They've always existed. Uh, but you can. It, it depends what you focus on. Was Ingo Swan related in some way with Preston's work? Yes. First off, um, Ingo Swan had some sort of a natural gift, and his gift um, blossomed when he did uh, the upper levels of Scientology in the sixties. And he, at that, simultaneous to his involvement with uh, what are called the OT levels or the operating Thetan levels of Scientology, he became involved with a remote viewing program with um, Pat Price. And I can't remember the other guy. He's the most famous of them all. I can't remember him. Pat Price was the best of the remote viewers, and, and he was uh, killed apparently. But um, he was involved with the, the Stanford Research Institute, Ingo Swan was, And his claim to fame was that he had made a magnetometer move without touching it. This was like scientifically demonstrated. And he was gifted. So in 1972, Ingo in, in Prague, Czechoslovakia, it was the name of the country, now the Czech Republic, um, he founded uh, the Psychotronics Association. Um, And that, that word was coined. And it was psychotronics has to do with the interface between with electronics and the mind, body and spirit. It could be argued and I never saw it argued and I don't know that it should be that that whole concept derived out of Scientology from the early 1950s, because Ellen Hubbard used to talk about um, electronics being used to control spiritual beings. And this is going back into the early 50s. But um, anyway, Ingo Swan uh, was, it started Psychotronics in 1972. By the time the 80s rolled around, uh, Preston was would sometimes lecture at New York City uh, Psychotronics, but he was the uh, president of the local chapter on Long Island, which Uh, met in Farmingdale, Long Island, on the border of NASA and Suffolk counties. And so, so Ingo Swan was uh, tangentially involved in that respect. They were both involved with psychotronics, 
But he, Preston was quite a scientist in his day, and he had uh, once had a – he was playing with anti-gravity. He had an anti, uh, a laboratory in an industrial place, and Ingo Swan, under a different name, I forget the name, uh, I think his name was Ralph Benersky. It was a pseudonym he used, told him to shut it down, cite the anti-gravity project. And he also came and approached him and told him not to investigate Montauk. So it turned out Ingo had ties to secret societies above and beyond his connection with Scientology and with uh, the government. He was tied into occult secret societies as well, uh, something he wouldn't talk about. But uh, that's that's that on Ingo Swan. Didn't Preston keep distance between him and Ingo because of Ingo's involvement with the L. Ron Hubbard's uh, organization? No, it had nothing to do with L. Ron Hubbard. It's just that, that Ingo was, you know, I don't know that he was working for the government in the beginning. Uh, I mean, with, with the spirit of working for the government, but he kind of got into a very weird space, like where he was just a, uh, an, a, a mind control flunky, in my opinion. You know, he was gifted as, as, Many gifted people that I, I would refer to as a mind control flunky. In other words, they weren't doing the bidding of anything good, in, in my opinion. Well, let me rephrase. Actually, I, since I was reading your book before we we began, it's uh, actually Ingo who wanted to distance himself from his association with Scientology, but he was a dedicated Scientologist. He was very dedicated at one point. Uh, I used to read his letters to Elron Hubbard. And sometimes answer them for L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, but those those weren't really, there's nothing great revelation, revelatory in those things. Uh, he used to come to the center in uh, in Clearwater, Florida, where he was involved. But, uh, you know, the thing is, he was he was a public Scientologist. And public Scientologists were sort of not completely in the know, so to speak. Um, they were customers as opposed to uh, something a little more clued in. And, and, and of course, it became very vogue to distance yourself completely from Scientology. And uh, when, when all the ruckus has hit in the last, you know, 20 years. So you see people that were uh, devout Scientologists or really pushing it in the 70s say, oh, no, I had nothing to do with that. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, what's her name? Uh, the actress from King of Queens. Uh, you know, she is not what I'm talking about. She's a t completely different example. Uh, yes, yes. She's not, she, she quit and she's a, a rabid. I mean, she but she will not deny that she was involved in Scientology. You know, well, you have John Travolta and Tom Cruise. Pardon me? To John Travolta, Tom Cruise. They're still very much involved, right? Yeah, I'm talking about people that were more on the edge of the movement. Right. Um. And it, in other words, just people will distance themselves from it. I'm not, I'm not talking about quitting and fighting it, uh, but just kind of pretending it didn't happen. Not, not to be continue, to, to continue talking about Scientology, but I remember somebody gave me the Dianetics book in 1984, which I read. And then they invited me to go to their, their offices. And I found it interesting that they plugged me into a computer. And then I disappeared from there because I didn't want any anything to do with organized religion at the time. But I've moved over 20 times around the world, and every single time 
They find me, they track me down, and they continue sending me stuff. So they have a great intelligence. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.